0: Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we learn more about the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We've been in a series called Walking with Christ Through the Gospel of Mark. We come today to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Take your Bibles and turn toward the end of the Bible to what's called the New Testament, and you are looking for the Gospel of Mark. The first book in the New Testament is Matthew, and the next book will be the Gospel of Mark. Today, we're going to be talking about how to astonish God and how astonishing God is. So let's go to Mark chapter 6. If you've been with us, you'll remember that we've seen The Lord Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry go to such places as Capernaum, which is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And we see that he has come from Capernaum back to his hometown, or not rather his hometown, he was born in Bethlehem, but I guess his adopted hometown of Nazareth where he grew up. So let's go to Mark chapter 6, Mark 6, and we're going to start with the first verse. And if you're new to our podcast, I hope you're following along with the Bible or on your iPad or your iPhone or however you're looking at the Word of God. But you can see what the Bible says and you can tell the difference between what the Bible says and where I may be making a comment. That's, that's pretty important. So hopefully you're actually looking at what we're going to be reading. Now, I'm in Mark 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. So he's now back in the city of Nazareth. All of his disciples have gone with him. Verse 2, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, we're going to stop right there. An important point here, if you will think back about what we've seen so far, and we're going to see even in this chapter, everywhere Jesus goes, he is, I mean, crowds are are completely around him, so much so that he has to get in a boat uh, offshore in the Sea of Galilee in order to teach without having everybody all around him. Um You know, he has to go into a mountain to get away from the crowds and so on. So wherever he is seen, a massive crowd forms to listen to his teaching, see his miracles and and be healed and so forth. And this is very common so far in the Gospel of Mark. But notice here that he goes back to Nazareth, the town he grew up in. Now, the people in the synagogue that he had grown up in were essentially opposed to him. There was, there was no groundswell of following Jesus in Nazareth, not even by his mother at this point, not even by his brothers, and yes, he had sisters. He was not followed in his hometown like he was everywhere else as we see it in the Gospel of Mark. So here he goes to the synagogue, um, and this is just my way of paraphrasing this, he goes there to get a hearing, because they're not running out of their houses following him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him, now, I have to tell you, friends, this is an absolutely astonishing verse to me. One of the best ways to really mess up where Jesus is concerned is to merely see him as only a man. And that's pretty much how he was viewed in Nazareth. They didn't live in Bethlehem where he was born, where the Magi came and... and. Uh, you know, the shepherds came and all of that. They did not witness all of that. That had been done in Bethlehem. These were people in Nazareth who had no, probably, very much knowledge about that. Jesus had grown up in their town and was in their synagogue. And that's that's the only way they saw him, as a man. There are many religions today, which will give Jesus a tip of the hat, but only as a man. That's wrong. It's incorrect. Jesus is God, the perfect God-man. But the people closest to him could not see that. So they they misinterpreted him, they misidentified him, and they missed God. So let's keep reading here so uh, let's see let's go to verse 4 but jesus said unto them a prophet is not without honor but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house and he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them and he marveled he was astonished And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. This is an amazing set of verses, Mark 6, 1 through 6. The people closest to him who should have known him best and realized who he was completely missed God. I hope that you have not grown up around religion and church and spirituality and all that kind of crazy talk people have today and around all of this and yet you don't know jesus if if this is you you need to see jesus christ for who he is he is in fact god he's the perfect god man crucified buried resurrected the third day and coming again and he wants to be your savior and lord don't miss him like the folks did here in Mark 6, 1 through 6. This simply astonished Jesus at the, the level of unbelief they had. And the interesting thing here, and I can't really explain it, is it it caused him not to be able to do many mighty works there. And I don't think that, I know for sure, the fault, the problem was not within Jesus, but because they would not believe, they could not Experience who he was. So, let's go to verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two. You know, even today, the military, when it has young recruits, puts them on a buddy system. They have somebody, one person in their company or their squad that's their buddy. They go everywhere together. That's to hold each other accountable, keep each other encouraged, and so forth. Well, Jesus knew this principle way back. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. In other words, they're going on a mission. They need to be quick and ready and get moving. Don't take a lot of stuff with you. And by the way, guys, you are going to learn to depend on me and you are going to discover that I am God and I will take care of you. Wow. Wow. I think that's what this was. You know, you can learn in your head and read books and even read the Bible. But God at some point says, I want you to go do what you've been learning about because you're going to learn even more by the doing of it. So he sends them out. He says, okay, enough learning for you guys. Now get out there and get going. But, 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 but just go. I'll take care of you. Verse 10. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. So in other words, they weren't to be looking for a better deal, you know, from house to house. Whoever was kind enough to take them in, you know, be a great house guest and stay with them and help them. Verse 11 and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So he's telling them that they're going out in his authority, they're representing him, and he's going to take care of them, and people are going to listen to them, and if they don't, it's really going to go bad with those people when they face God one day. Because in essence, uh, though they are are not God, not saying that, but in essence they are representing Jesus Christ to them in his stead. So, um, let's see, in verse 12, And they went out and preached that men should repent. They didn't go out and tell them, I'm okay, you're okay. Hey, I read a book last week, and this is what I learned from that book, Uh, or some religious stories, or, you know, all this crazy stuff people are doing today. They just went out and said, hey, guys, you're sinners. You're in trouble with a holy God. Jesus came to pay the price of your sins. He is your Savior. You need to turn from your sins and turn to Christ and get saved. It was a blunt message. And people listened to them. People believed them and got saved. Verse 13, And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil, many that were sick, and healed them. You know, only God can do stuff like that, right? Yeah, God and the people through whom God gives his authority and works, like these twelve disciples, So in in essence, if you think of it this way, and and I mean no disrespect in any way in saying this, but it will communicate to our 21st century mind, in essence, Jesus franchised what he was doing, so to speak, whereas it was only the Lord doing all of this before. Now, not only is he doing this, but now there are six teams of two people each which he's multiplied himself through, and now <laughs> even more is being done to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I love that. That's great. All right, so verse 14. Now, this is a very sordid story here from verse 14 in Mark 6 through verse um, 29. 14 to 29 is the story of, of how Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer, how he was put in prison for telling the truth, and eventually he was executed because he was a man of righteousness. Jesus said about him that he was the greatest and the last of the Old Testament prophets. So, we're going to see here something that's completely opposite from the righteousness and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see the wreckage of human government, the corruption, the sin, the perversion, and even the murderous acts in what we know as human government. Now, as Christians, we are to be subject to the governing authorities. We are to seek the benefit of the community wherever God puts us. We're to obey those who are our leaders uh, politically, you know, as long as we're not disobeying the word of God. Nevertheless, human government, because people are involved with it, and I think Satan obviously tries to influence it as well against God and against truth and against God's people. Human government is beastly as Daniel saw it. And here we see this, just one putrid episode of that, and we're just going to read through it with comments. Verse 14 in Mark 6. And King Herod, now Herod, by the way, was a non-Jewish political leader who had been put in charge by the Romans over part of Israel. Okay? He was not a Jewish king, He had no real right to this place of leadership over the Jewish people except that Rome ruled the known world at the time and then said, you're it. You're the leader of that area. He wasn't even Jewish. And um, so anyway, and King Herod heard of him for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. If you know your Bible pretty well, you'll remember that John preached and baptized, but he did not do any miracles in his earthly life. Well, here John uh, Herod, who's so superstitious and had a guilty conscience, I might add. Thought that, John, thought that Jesus Christ was John the Baptist, risen from the dead, and now uh, John is doing miracles. Well, of course, Jesus was not John the Baptist, risen from the dead, but Herod is a crazy political leader. What do you want, right? He's totally nuts. All right, so let's keep reading here. Verse 15. Others said that it is Elias... And others said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. How would you like to be a corrupt political leader like Herod and actually think that the righteous prophet John that you had just executed had overcome death? What's going to happen to you now? I mean, Herod was a guilty man. All right, so here's how it came about that Herod executed John the Baptist. Verse 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother, Philip's wife, for he had married her. He had no right to her, by the way, but he took her as his wife. Verse 18, For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. 19, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him. You know, she had a grudge and, and would have killed him, but she could not. I mean, she wanted him dead. D-E-D. How dare he say that about me? You can just sense the evil dripping off of this woman. Verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him, and when he heard him, He did many things. In other words, this created conviction in Herod and heard him gladly. So even though it created conviction in him, he he still enjoyed listening to John preach. Verse 21. And when a convenient day was come, and I think maybe that was convenient for Herodias in her scheming and her plotting, And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. Now I want to stop right there. This is now his stepdaughter, you know, not his child. And I don't want to get into a lot of detail. I have nothing to base this on. This is creepy. This is what is going on here uh, with this king and the other, the men at this birthday party. I just think there's something evil and perverse here that they, uh, I don't want to go any further. It's just weird. All right. So, so he makes this uh, promise to her, verse 23, and he sware to her unto her, "Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee under the half of my kingdom." <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway, verse 24. And she went forth and said unto her mother, "What shall I ask?" And she said, "The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by, in a charger, the head of John the Baptist. And she asked that John be beheaded immediately and his head brought on a platter. Now, Her mother didn't even say that platter part. This is one wicked chick right here. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Because Herodias was her mother. She learned well. If you say, Brother Ed, you don't have much respect for these people. You got that right, Bubba. Verse 26. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought the head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. Wow. And when his disciples heard of it, that is, John the Baptist's disciples, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. The corruption of human government is on full display right here, and we see it in our day. Government can be perverse, corrupt, completely manipulated. And yes, my friends, government that rejects God can be murderous. This, we know from the other Gospels, had a deep effect on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark does not go into that detail here, but read the other Gospels and you will... I I believe the Gospel of John and you will see this. Um, I might be wrong on that being in John, but you you can find it easily to see how it affected the Lord Jesus. But here in verse 30, and one thing I want to say more about government, we see... the wreckage of human government on full display in America today. Jesus Christ is coming. I don't know when, but when he comes back, he's going to bulldoze the wreckage of human government off the planet and set up a kingdom that he rules over. And I say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go back to Mark 6, verse 30. Now, remember, the Lord has sent out the 12 disciples in teams of two. So six teams go out. They're preaching about Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. They are uh, casting out demons. Hey, only God can cast out demons, right? Well, they were doing that in the authority of God, that is Jesus Christ, in his name, and they were healing the sick. And so Jesus has them come back, and they report to him, as they should, what he has done with the power that he has given them verse 30 and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught and he said unto them come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while for there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat and they departed into a desert place by ship privately And the people saw them departing, and many knew him. Now remember, this was before the day, as far as I know, of photographs and, you know, cell phones and all of that, where everybody knows who the famous people are in the world and what they look like and all that. So he was probably hard to identify on sight, but many knew who he was on sight, and this word spread. And many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities and outwent them and came together unto them. So the disciples are going by, uh, let's see, I think I got this right, uh, in a boat to a wilderness area and the people run on the shore and they get there before Jesus does. (laughs) Verse 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? So they'd already calculated how much they had, and they were at the end of their resources. <laughs> That's when you're about to see God work, by the way. Verse 38: He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And we know from the other Gospels, a little boy had given them their lunch, his lunch. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. That reminds me of the 23rd Psalm. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. So Jesus is showing himself as the great shepherd here. Of the sheep, verse forty, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven, and blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they did all eat and were filled. They, in other words, they were satisfied. They were no longer hungry. But I want to make a little note here, because we know from the other Gospels that Christ was frustrated as well, that when he fed the crowds and healed the sick, they just wanted to take him by force and make him king, I guess instead of Herod, <laughs> and uh, so that all their needs could be continually met. They weren't especially repentant of sin or convicted by sin and following him as Savior and Lord, necessarily. I'm sure many were, but many were not. So that reminds me that sometimes people seek God, read the Bible, go to church, talk to their Christian friends, and so on. Then once the need's taken care of, game over. Don't be like that. Really, really follow Christ. Verse 43, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. Now, I wonder why there were 12. Well, there were 12 disciples. Well, that'd be an easy answer, except we're going to see later in Mark, the same type of miracle occurred again, and there were seven. So I don't know why there were 12 or why there were seven. But anyway, there was way more left over than they started with, and everybody had already eaten. Now, guys and gals, don't let liberal preachers who don't even know Jesus Christ personally tell you that well, Jesus just taught people to share here and blah blah. No, man, Jesus, Jesus actually literally multiplied these loaves and fishes, and the people literally actually ate them until they couldn't eat any more. And there was so much left over, they had to get 12 baskets to collect all the fragments that weren't eaten. This is a major miracle. It actually really happened this way. Don't let liberals tell you that this is just a story, you know, to teach us how to share. Come on, gang. Jesus is God, and he did this miracle blew everybody away when he did it oh man all right don't get me started right anyway verse 44 and they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men so these the the men were counted and it was easy to count them because you had x number of groups of about 50 and about 100 so it's easy to get a pretty good head count so there are 5,000 men, you know, plus probably women and children. So there could have been, you know, 5, 10, even 15,000 or more people that were fed here. This is an insanely crazy major miracle here. This is not some little story made up to teach us to share. Oh, man, come on. This is to point to Jesus as God. Verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent the people away the people. And when he has sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. So picture this. Jesus is praying up on this great elevation, but he can see the Sea of Galilee below him where the disciples are in that ship trying to row just uh the Sea of Galilee at its widest point is very, very wide. I mean, miles and miles and miles wide. They didn't go over that part. They went over uh, from w- one side of the northern shore over to another side of the northern shore. But it probably still was miles. It was a pretty good ways. It was, this wasn't just a little pond or lake they were on. This is the Sea of Galilee. So uh, a major body of water. You know, you can see it from a satellite and all of that. So he sees them out there uh, trying to cross over as he told them. So uh, let's see, verse 47. So he went into the mountain to pray, verse 47. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. Other words, they hadn't made it very far. And he alone on the land... And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed, in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. I mean, they were astonished for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hard in other words they'd already forgotten what they had just seen and and they're thinking who is this and they were they were hopefully starting to slowly realize although we don't see much hope here in the way they responded but this is someone that we have no idea who we're dealing with. Jesus is God. And I, I don't think they comprehended that very much at all. But they were just astounded at what they saw. By the way, when you hear liberals and God-haters and Bible disbelievers and all that try to say, well, you know, Jesus was standing on a rock. This is out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, yo. I mean, Jesus walked on the sea. Literally, got into the boat, and as soon as he did, the storm stopped. Calm. Wow. Jesus is God. Jesus could do that because he created the land and the sea and the wind and the people in the boat. Jesus is God. God. Verse 53. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. By the way, Jesus doesn't send us out into the, it doesn't say, go to the, get on the Sea of Galilee and go to the middle and drown. He sends us to the other side and he goes with us. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him. Who's that? These people that. Had that were on the other side and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment, And as many as touched him were made whole. Only God can heal. And Jesus, just by walking down these streets, as people saw him and and reached out and touched him, they were healed of their diseases. Hopefully, many of them trusted him as Savior and Lord. But as we shall see, not as many as we would like because People tend to have problems, and once the problem is solved, they tend to forget God. I hope you are not like that. When Christ does a great work in, li- in your life, saves you from your sins, maybe you're already a Christian, he heals you from a sickness or illness, answers a prayer for major provision or something that you want to see him do, that you do not forget who Jesus is. Well, we have seen so many wonderful things here. And for those who put their hope in human government back in the 60s, I was a, a child then, but I was a kind of a in-touch kid, and I knew what was going on politically, a lot of things. But I can remember that many people trusted that that just the right kind of government is going to make things right. And President Kennedy was president and it seemed like America's greatest days were ahead of it the best and brightest ran government and so forth and there was so much optimism and hope we were going to put a man on the moon which we did of course which was a major accomplishment but people live long enough to be completely broken of that illusion through everything that happened after that if you're trusting in government today where even one of our parties is apparently anti-god anti-baby anti-life anti-everything that makes any common sense and the other part of government just doesn't seem to be able to get right kind of things done you, you know we're witnessing that government is not the answer Only God is the answer, and Jesus is God. And I hope that you do not astonish and amaze Jesus by never quite getting around to giving your life to Him after all He's shown you about who He is and how much He loves you and cares for you. Even today in Mark 6, Jesus has shown you that. Right now, you should bow your heart and bow your head Repent of your sin. Confess to the Lord Jesus Christ that you are indeed a hopeless sinner in need of a Savior. Ask Him to become the Lord of your life. Give your life to Him. Let Him come into your life, give you new birth. And then you grow in your knowledge of Him and your walk with Him and be a witness for Christ. And you too can join us in waiting on the coming government the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you today, my friend. Thank you for joining us on This Week in the Word. Invite others to listen at www.dredhill.podbean.com. Remember, there's no period after the DR, just dredhill.podbean.com. Invite them to listen and join us and grow in their knowledge of the Lord and His Word. And we'll see you on the next episode when we go to Mark uh, chapter 7. Thank you for listening. God bless.